This really is going to be an amazing episode. So stay tuned, take out your notepads or open up your note-taking app on your laptop or phone. There is going to be a lot to take away from this one and you don't want to miss a second. Every mini episode has something that will move the needle for your e-commerce business and add to your bottom line. So without further ado, let's get started with the best of 2X e-commerce 2022. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast best of 2022 series. I'm so excited to share with you some of the most impactful episodes from last year. It was such a great year for the podcast and it was so hard to make a choice as to which episode to include in this series. All in all, there's just so much content to choose from. In 2022, we as a collective, my amazing podcast guest and I recorded a total of 63 episodes for a combined 3,325 hours. Yes, I calculated it of listening time. All of it is jam-packed with the latest and greatest cross-functional e-commerce brand building tips, tricks, and advice. But most importantly, the personal and sometimes deeply touching stories of the guests themselves. Stories of determination, trials, tribulations, of defeat, of picking yourself back up, brushing yourself off, and going on to achieve greatness. Of unique ways of thinking that shift the way we behave and change the way the world does things. Of innovation, of entrepreneurship, and building best-in-class customer-centric brands that deliver not only products, but promises promises of a better world, a more sustainable future, healthier products and healthier people. As you can see, I had a tough decision to make when deciding which episode to include in this best of 2022 episode. But I'm confident that these episodes that I've selected will provide valuable insights and inspiration for anyone in the e-commerce industry. I've compiled my top 12 from the year into a series of mini episodes from which you can expect to learn a ton. Before we begin, here are a few words from the sponsors of this podcast that make this show possible. The 2X e-commerce podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo gives you the tools to get going faster. That is why it's trusted by over 50,000 e-commerce brands like Brooklinen, Nun, and Chubby's. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit klaviyo.com forward slash 2x to create your free account. That is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. So up next, we hear from Howard Payne, a pioneer in the electronic cigarette industry and founder of the e-commerce brand Stealth Fitness, as he recounts his journey to scaling his first company, Logic e-cigarettes, to $100 million in sales in the first 18 months of operations. 
Howard shares details about filing patents and building an innovation pipeline, as well as the process of selling the company to Japan Tobacco through the help of Goldman Sachs, a rigorous process he never could have imagined when he was pounding the pavements from dawn to until dusk, day in, day out, to get Logic e-cigarettes in stores. He also talks about the four-hour walk week and why it has never been his thing and probably never will be and how he spent his time and money after selling his company in 2016. He definitely had a little fun with the proceeds, but as you'll learn, he didn't slow down for long and is no time as all before how he was back in the game with his new business idea. He also shares about his personal brand and the Howie method which is about leading your life with health and originality. Howard's energy and tenacity and mindset is absolutely infectious. And that is possibly the greatest skill you can have as anybody in e-commerce, whether you're a founder, marketing professional or brand builder. It's really mindset and the ability to think like a brand builder, to think like someone like Howard, who through some strong first principles, a lot of shared tenacity and a powerful mindset can will into reality that which was yesterday, but an idea. Without further ado, let's get started with this one. We have, me and Eli filed a lot of patents for, uh, you know, sort of our innovation pipeline. You know, we wanted to have a good innovation pipeline. We we found out through earlier meetings that companies that want to buy us, they, they, they like to see an innovation pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to build out an innovation pipeline. And uh, we had met with several companies. Um, we had reached out. Uh, my partner, Eli, had reached out to Goldman. So we, we did have a relationship there. And we did have interested parties. But we said, you know what, let's reach out to Goldman. Maybe they have some interested co- uh, clients that may be interested. And it happened to be that, uh, you know, Japan Tobacco was one of their clients. And... Uh, you know, we we were able to put the deal together. Interesting, very 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 interesting. And then, um, what did 2016? Okay, then uh, with with all that you're doing, um, because the audience is, is e-commerce, what percentage did did digital, you know, just e-commerce account for in in your top line? Yeah, so it was very little. Like ours was just basically, you know mainly convenience stores and uh and then also you know big like you know uh we have you know walgreens you know some farm yeah. you know big 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 pharmacies um but mainly uh i would say you know 90 95 was in store as opposed in to store. e-commerce yeah makes sense makes sense <clears throat> right um so 2016 you don't have the company um, you have a you know ton of cash in the bank. Um, what has life from 2016 to to 2022, you know, look like? Obviously, we know you have a a product, you know, a health product now. But but just paint us a picture of what happened immediately. Did you just go on holiday? Um, did you spoil? What just um, yeah, paint us that picture, please. Yeah, I think I bought like fifteen twenty million dollars worth of cars. You know, I splurged on cars. I uh, I started really getting into social media, you know, into Instagram. And I wanted to really talk about the story and try to, you know, help others and motivate them. You know, some people see it as, you know, showing off. I see it as, look what's possible. I, I didn't go to Ivy League school. 
I was not a good student. I'm a muscle guy. I like to hang on the gym. How smart can that dude be? You know, how, you know, and I, I tell people, you, you know, it's believing in yourself. I, I call it the Howie method. I look deep in myself. I said, well, what, what about what stamped on me when I had a young age? And I'll just do it simply. The H, health. You got to lead your life with health. Health is well. The O, originality. Okay. You got to look in your mirror, everybody. Look in your mirror. And that is you. You got to be you, be real, be proud. You can like other things from other people, but bring them to you. You know, you're the guy. You're the guy or gal that was born special with all the talents. You just have to find them. You have to look deep inside you. And the W in Howie, work. You got to put the work in. There's no hacking hard work. I know Tim Ferriss talks about four hour work week, but I never found a four hour work week. Mine was a hundred hours, 80 to a hundred hours. I did that for 20 years and I'm still working 70, 75 hours a week because I love it. I'm passionate. I want to make a difference. I want to make breakthroughs. And that's me. You know, not everybody has the same goals or, or what makes them happy. For me, this is, you know, for me, business is sports. You know, I'm not going to run 100 mile marathons. I'm not doing triathlons. I'm not climbing a Mount Everest. And it's okay. For me, though, my Mount Everest is, you know, what can I, what's the next company I could build? How, how can I do something that's a game changer and never existed in the world? That's where the eye comes in, innovation. How do you innovate? How do you do something different? You know, mm-hmm. instead of being a copycat, how do you innovate, do something different, solve a problem, uh, offer something good to community, society that can actually uh, uh, help people feel better, look better. And that's where uh, 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 Stealth Fitness came in. And then E, E is one of the best. It's energy. Energy is what drives me. Energy what moves the world, right? Energy is the power, you know, that's what I say, you know, in the morning, you get, you, you stargate, you look, your sun gaze, you look into the sun and let that energy come in you. You know, everything is about energy. So the Howie method, like the five habits I talked to you about before, that the Howie, uh, H-O-W-I-E, is five, five just simple things, the health, the originality, the hard work, the innovation and the energy. I think it's just five easy things that really can help you make a difference. So when you talk about 2016, I bought a ton of cars. I bought, I bought a lot, a bunch of real estate and I was like, you know what? What's gonna, I, I got to get back into like fitness and health. What can I do to really be game changer in the space? And when I say game changer, it actually became a fitness gaming company. So we did start out as a product. It's called Stealth Fitness. It's, you know, basically I said, most of the world doesn't work out. Most people aren't fit. There's so many, you know, hundreds of millions of even obese children. How do you get people working out, get into a habit, start your day with a win instead of making your bed in the morning? What else can you do is that's like brushing your teeth that easy to sort of spark that internal flame to get yourself fit, feeling good. And I, I came up with, I said, okay, the plank is probably the best exercise and easiest to do the least stress on the body, although it's hard. And basically, if you could hold the plank for one to three minutes, you're really getting the hard work. And I said, but you know what? The problem is you look at planks, problem. Everybody hates planks because they're boring and they're sitting down looking at their phone, waiting for the time to go by or they're watching a YouTube video. I said, wow, imagine if someone can plank and play games at the same time on their phone. So we did as we created Stealth Fitness. So basically you have a 360 degree do we have one of them here, Stealth, Kayla? So we have a, 
360. Where are these? There we go. Let's move this. There we go. There we go. Health is well. Get on your still. All right. So, Del, you're on the board and you're actually planking and playing games. So, my right. body's the controller of the game. So, we well, did this. We developed the whole gaming platform. Uh, so, right. I'm, playing, I'm playing a game and the accelerometers of the phone are feeling the angles of the board. Yeah. Right. So it's that center of gravity on, on the yeah. plank in your four, in your forearms. Yep. And then th- when you yep. tilt left or right, you're yeah, moving totally. left or right. It's almost hepatic. Yeah. yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm playing the game. Clever. I'm playing the game. And basically we, we built the whole gaming fitness company based upon the one exercise, the flank. And we sold over a million of them. Couldn't you like, sold a million of these units. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. O- over, over the last five years. But you talk about e-commerce. This is an e-commerce company, right? It's right, I right. I, I, you know, I went from the opposite. It's funny. I went from selling in store now to just selling direct to the home and building a subscription model. Right. You, you, totally you sold a million of these of the stealth, um, the stealth core. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. And we just okay. now we're launching now. Now we're actually just shooting videos to the stealth squat product, and then we're coming out with stealth cycle. So this this thing is going to be. A monster. I mean, I, I, yeah. I love it because so many, we have 75,000 in our Facebook, the, the stories and the, and this. Uh, so you have a friends. community. Wow. Yeah, yeah, there's a community of a uh, 75,000 strong in Facebook. And actually people are actually go to, go to each other across the country to flank with each other. And they be the friendships that have been built and the motivation and the scores. There's challenges. There's new games and, uh, groups. It's amazing. Now we move into something that is really timeless and evergreen for, for any e-commerce or direct-to-consumer brand. In this snippet from my podcast with Matt Barr, co-founder and CEO of Enquire Labs, Matt discusses the importance of using attribution, personalization, and conversion rate optimization to grow your e-commerce brand. As a leading expert in the field, Matt's insights in these topics are invaluable. For any D2C brand, you know, or e-commerce operator looking to build a sustainable competitive advantage. I included this snippet in my best of 2022 podcast because of the relevance and timelessness of these topics in e- in the e-commerce industry and the practical t- tips and strategies Matt provides for implementing them in your business. It doesn't matter what channels you're using attribution is always key it doesn't matter who your customers are personalization is essential and it doesn't matter what business you're in or campaigns you're running conversion rate optimization will help you adapt to changing conditions and help you create next level campaigns you're sure to get something great from this one so enjoy yeah, we, we group this into four categories. Uh, so we have attribution. Uh, Attribution-related questions are like, how did you hear about us? Uh, how long have you known about us to understand the consideration window? Um, there's a different way to phrase these, again, for returning customers as well, if you're trying to understand kind of attribution for returning customers. So attribution is the first one. 
the second one is just general personalization. Uh, so think of like what other data points would you like in your ESP that would allow you to send better emails? Um, one of our favorite questions is how would you classify yourself? Um, and it's just the example I've given is we work with this company that sells this piece of hardware and they sell to educators, uh, hobbyists, and professionals. And it's like very clear user personas that allow them to then send personalized content, follow-ups, etc. Um, so that's definitely someone something we recommend to all our customers. Like, what are your user personas? Um, and it's funny how how often we hear like we kind of know them, like we just and you haven't really needed to know them because you traditionally just like invested in Facebook and Facebook just found the different personas. But mm-hmm. knowing them again is going to help you optimize creative and a ton of other things. So attribution, uh, personalization. The third one is CRO, so conversion rate optimization. Uh, Surveys are an incredible tool for just getting started with CRO. Uh, so questions like, how was your shopping experience? Uh, typically recommend starting that one with kind of a, a single response, like good uh, or bad, good, great, uh, with follow-ups on each of them. So it's like bad, what can you tell us about it? Or use emojis, however you want to kind of talk talk with your brand voice and then have the user follow-up. So it was great. Well, what was so great about it? Um, and this is a very easy way to learn like, it was good. And then you'll hear customers be like, well, I spent 10 minutes looking for your return policy. Uh, it's well, you should probably take your return policy and start to maybe link to it near the add to cart button, like make it more accessible. So these customers don't have to dig deep and find these data points. Um, so uh, just to kind of run through them again, it's attribution, personalization, CRO. And the fourth one is just general customer research. Uh, so this is where I'd say all survey platforms historically have sit in the research corner um, where we we always talk about operational or oper- operationalizing this data. So like how do we actually put this data to use in real time um, where historically survey data has always just been for research. So the research questions that are super valuable are just like questions like age and gender. Um, just like, why did you buy today? Again, that's kind of crosses the uh, customer research and CRO side of things, um, but just starting to understand more about your customers. Uh, and then the holy grail of all of this is just combining all of this data. So now you have a customer who've answered maybe five or six questions, like what channel are they coming from? Like, okay, so now we know like people who purchase for this reason are this age and gender from TikTok are different than people who purchase for this reason are this age and gender who come mm-hmm. from TikTok. So you essentially have these two TikTok audiences that you are always just grouping into one. Um, and we see that all the time. So that's the, as far as utility beyond, like you'll see us, uh, you'll see us move beyond post-purchase this year. And that's like, we'll start to look a little bit more like some of these kind of legacy survey players. Um, again, we don't, we really talk about our question stream, not surveys. You actually don't see, we don't use the word surveys anywhere in our product because again, we want people to think about this linear conversation with customers. Like what can you learn? So you'll th- you'll see things like NPS and other more traditional survey things uh, coming out of us uh, just eventually. later this year. Yeah, Eventually, interesting. So, so at the core of it, it's, it's a customer insights platform, really Inquire Labs. Exactly. And it's the, the real difference between us and survey platforms is just this continuous conversation. Like every customer has a, cu- a customer ID versus most survey platforms today. You create a survey and then you add questions to that survey. And then you say, who do you want this question to target? Where for us, you create, it's like, what do I want to learn? And you create a question and each question can have its own targeting. Uh, so hypothetically, you and I 
could purchase somewhere or maybe via email in the future get completely different surveys just based on our algorithm or the way that a customer has set up our platform. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly 500 billion by 2025. As a fast-growing area in commerce, subscriptions hold tremendous opportunities to build a community of customers who share your values. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale subscription offerings. Recharge powers the growth of over 15,000 subscription merchants and their communities, turning one-time transactions into long-term customer relationships. Whether you're a direct-to-consumer business or an omni-channel brand, subscriptions strengthen the brand relationships with your customers and make it easy for customers to make repeat purchases. With subscriptions, merchants are able to experience predictable revenue, increased customer loyalty, and higher average order values. Turn transactions into relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Get started today with a subscription payment solution trusted by over 50 million subscribers worldwide by heading over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Did you know that loyal customers are nine times more likely to convert compared to a first-time shopper? That's why exceptional customer service is so important for your retention and growth. I recommend using Gorgeous, the leading help desk for Shopify, Magento, and big commerce merchants. Gorgeous combines all your communication channels, including email, SMS, social media, live chat, and phone into one platform. This saves your team hours per day and makes managing customer orders a breeze. It also integrates seamlessly with your existing tech stack so you can access customer information and even edit, return, refund, or create an order right from your help desk. To learn more, go to gorgeous.com. That's G-O-R. G-I-A-S.com and mention 2X e-commerce podcast for two months free. That is gorgeous.com for two months free. Just mention 2X e-commerce. So in this snippet you're about to hear, it was um, one with Ivan Paget, a 20-year veteran of all things e-commerce, specifically subscription commerce. Subscription commerce is a lucrative way to operate if you can do it right. It not only brings good, steady revenues, but it also makes using your product a habit for your customers. Something very powerful, not to mention that when it comes to getting acquired, investors will look favorably upon your business if it has good, strong subscription revenues and low churn. Even brings a wealth of experience to the table, having worked in and led as a C-level executive in multiple billion-dollar brands you know, such as Just Fab, Shoe Dazzle, and Thrive Market. He now runs a firm, a growth firm called Stealth Venture Lab, where he's the COO, Chief Chief of Chief Rating Officer. In this snippet, even delves into the topic of team building, which is essential for growing, you know, startup. 
Even shares his insights on how to structure a direct-to-consumer e-commerce business for scale to $100 million in revenue and beyond, and how to identify the key players to making it happen. He also talks about the importance of having a dynamic duo of a visionary and integrator in terms of leadership to make your business successful. So if you're a part of a business that is close to reaching 100, the $100 million mark or aim to do so one day, then you will get a lot of valuable insights from even in this following short snippet you're about to listen to in our conversation. So let's jump in and help you prep your hiring strategy for $100 million and beyond. Let's delve into team building. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you, you, you can speak to, you know, VC setups, you know, the Fabletics and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Thrive Markets. But in 2022, if you were, um, you know, if you were a growing startup, you've, you've shown some traction um, and it's been really sort of bootstrapped and been, um, yeah, just, just been basic essentially. Um, how would you structure your direct-to-consumer e-commerce business for scale, given you know, you're looking to grow it to the 100 million mm-hmm. plus sort of stratosphere? Who who would you sort of put as a you're a chief operating officer at um your CEO or at Stealth yeah. Labs? But who would you put in the mix to 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 make this happen? How would you structure? That's a team great question. Um, speaking to founders, essentially. Yeah, no, I think that. So we work. At, Brent and I um, use something which uh, I am. I've been a part of a lot of management systems, like you know the Rockefellers and, and all these different like tools that you can use to run your organization. And and we run something called EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. Um, I love if I was starting a business right now, and Brent and I work hand in hand with like this. They they have something what's called the VI combo: visionary, integrator. Um, visionaries are the creative people, the blue sky dreamers, the people that are persistent optimists that can never be turned off. Right. The, the, mm-hmm. the, this is going to change the world mentality. And, and my business partner, Brent changes the world. He's an, an amazing person. Um, and then there's the integrators. So that's, that's me in this case, integrator I, makes visionary dreams come true. So I'm the person that is in there making it happen. And I think any good business I've worked for, dynamic duos in my whole career. Granted, there's only two other jobs before this, but at the top of Just Fab, Just Fab Inc., or now known as Textile Fashion Group, you have Adam and Don. They were a visionary integrator combo. Um, at the time when I was at Thrive Market, um, you had Nick Green, um, you had Sasha, who was a, another co-founder there, and you had a guy by the name of Gennar Lovelace, and they were basically visionary integrator combos there as well. They had a vision, then they had people to get it done. So if I'm starting a brand right now, I'm, I look at myself as an integrator. I need a visionary to be that blue sky dreamer. Step one, get that in place. And if you're that visionary, get yourself an integrator because that's how you make your dreams come true. Um, beyond building a team beyond that. So you, now you got your, your two co-founders, right? You got your partnership going. Um, when you're trying to find growth and marketing, let's just leave the fact that you need capital and all that aside, the fundamentals you need. Um, you want a marketer that understands philosophically what you're trying to build. And that's your, you know, call it your, your head of marketing at the time. They're probably, 
a director or vice president level somewhere that can do anything. Like they roll up their sleeves and don't skimp out on this. Do not skimp out on your marketer. If you are trying to build a direct to consumer customer acquisition focused company, make sure from the get go, you have an awesome direct marketer on your team and an awesome direct mm-hmm. marketer on your team doesn't necessarily mean that they just follow Gary V's podcast and all everything he's done. And they've read all the books. You need practical application. I, I look for people that have worked at big budget brands, brands that I know spend millions a month because that experience is worth much more than every, every book you could read, every podcast you can listen to, the hands-on experience there. Someone that's managed millions of dollars themselves and th- that's not scary to them. That's the people you need on your team that can help. If you're trying to build a $100 million brand, guess what? You're spending $30, $40 million a month on advertising or uh, 30 to $40 million a year probably on advertising yeah. at a certain point. Yeah. You don't want yeah. that mismanaged. You don't want that to be on the CEO or the COO, right? Um, and then, you know, sort of the last piece I think you need. So you have, you have a visionary who's looking into the future, blue sky dreaming. You have an integrator who's rolling up their sleeves and getting the team right and making sure that we're scalable. And that's usually a COO profile. You have an awesome marketer. Don't forget what matters most, your customers. So you need somebody that is customer empathetic. Usually they are brand focused that can that can be the be the voice of the customer and what the customer needs to hear and they need to be able to shake things up even at that founder level a little bit and have a have a voice at the table that says I hear you you want to sell this for that price but I'm going to tell you on the on the ground level customers aren't going to buy that or that's not a great customer experience um, you need mm-hmm. that voice of the customer in there early if you have those four pieces without the nuance of like yeah we need technology or yeah we need graphic designers and all these things too like you need production work but like those four corners of the bedsheet in my opinion um, mm-hmm. would really help you build out anything if you have those four people in place you could pretty much build anything and and do something really well this next entry in the best of 2022 list is really packed full of insights. It's full of simple tips, powerful ways of thinking and operational processes and counterintuitive pathways to growth. I really can't emphasize enough how much valuable information you're about to download in the next few minutes. In this snippet, Simon Servino shares valuable insights on hiring and firing principles and how to avoid the fate of Rome and other fallen empires. Simon is a highly respected business consultant who has worked with companies such as Google, Rocher and Abvi. He is the creator of the strategy sprint method, which doubles revenue in 90 days by getting owners out of the weeds. I couldn't go past this snippet for the best of 2025 Um, this particular episode because Simon's advice on hiring and firing and scaling is crucial for any e-commerce brand period looking to grow and thrive in today's competitive market. He stresses the importance of setting clear standards and following through on them as well as keeping operations simple as your company grows. This is essential advice for any business owner looking to build a sustainable, successful brand. So let's hear what Simon has to say. So it's the vision, the hiring, the competitive analysis. Number four is culture 
And culture means, of course, you have governance, you mean all the rules, right? What is the minimum standard that if you don't deliver that, you are out? And you have to execute on that. So I'm sorry to say that, but you have to fire. You have to fire quickly. And this is the hardest part. It's not complicated. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, but it's hard to do on an emotional level. And um, I certainly, uh, it, it, it took many, many rounds until I got it right and, um, and did it on a professional level. Also about that, there is a chapter in the book. But it's really tough because you have to be quick and you have to be uh, objective. And now this goes back to why the onboarding is important. Because in the onboarding, you will write down, in, uh, if you use our tool, it's a spreadsheet, you will, you will write down specifically what your expectations are in terms of quality of time estimations and um, what you expect. And you will need this document um, filled out in that moment when you have to fire. Because otherwise, on what are you basing this decision, right? So you have to be quick and you have to have that document. We call it the job scorecard with all the tasks, expectations, and current results and targets. And you need to, to show the delta once and say, okay, what's your plan to change that? Okay, go change that. One week later, okay, show me what you changed. Nothing changed. All right. Okay. Because that sounds hard, but if you don't do it, this will be the signal for everybody else the standards here are not really consequential. Mm. And then you have no standards. Mm. And that was the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire after 700 years of glory. <laughs> they started to cut corners and every other empire also later on. Super, super interesting. Super, super interesting. Okay, so, so what's, what's the fifth layer? So, so we, we talked about, you know, establishing that vision, um, which would be five pages. Your vision in three years' time should be five pages, hiring um, and firing, you know, well, quickly. Competitive yeah. analysis on a monthly basis, um, you know, speaking to, you know, features and also um, just establishing certain metrics to compare, you know, your, yourselves against. And then um, the the final is really, or the fourth was was culture and, and the governance of um, of, of your um, your operations. Essentially, you know, what are the rules? What are your minimum standards? And then having a check a check facility to to really check back on on it to ensure that um, you know everything is is going along um, you know that culture and governance route. So, what would be the final sort of pillar? The final one is keep the whole firm simple while it grows. And that sounds easy. It's not easy at all because everybody who has scaled the company knows for each country, there will be one legal situation that pops up and then you will lawyers and then you will have a new contract and a new SOP and a new variation. So easily things start to get bloated and complicated. It's really important that you keep things simple. Otherwise, your firm will soon feel like a corporation. And believe me, nobody wants to work in a corporation anymore. They never want it, but now they have the chance. They can go take the stimulus, buy Bitcoin, and be much happier. So <laughs> it's important now that we keep things simple. So... And by the way, Bitcoin, I, I think it can make everybody happy right now. Not financial <laughs> advice. 
<laughs> be quick. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So um, the the key of keeping things simple is on two levels. The SOP manual. Make sure things are are just five sentences, no screenshots. Super simple. Five sentences. So all processes are simple, fun, and repeatable. That's one thing. Okay, so make sure if you have a COO, that's their job. If you don't, then make it your job for a while. Things need to stay simple as you grow. Otherwise, you will get crazy because every country has a different tax and different legal. And if you make that overrun you, you will soon be lost in the woods and not see the trees anymore. So keep things simple on the SOP side. The other side is the number of projects and activities that people run. So we help our clients limit the number of projects that they run at a time. We tell them don't run more than 10 projects per quarter. So we always plan 90 days. And in those 90 days, we allow 10 projects. So now they have to discuss which are the most important 10 projects. And um, there is a helpful triage question to define. Because when they do the list for the first time, it's around 50 to 70 projects per firm. Sometimes even 100, 120. So let's say they make a list of 60 projects that they are running right now. How can you help them as a CEO? How can you help all departments slim down, prioritize? We ask three questions. So if they hit one of those three boxes, they stay on the list. If not, they're off the list for these 90 days. They might go into backlog, but those 90 days, 10 projects, and they have to tick one of those three boxes. First, does this project increase our sales frequency by 25%? And that means either shortening the sales time or, you know, upselling, uh, cross-selling more. So does it increase by 25% the frequency of our sales? Yes, no. Second question, does it increase by 25% the price we charge for the same thing? Now, this is important for marketing. Should we do this marketing campaign or not? Well, if, if we can charge a higher price because the story is better, the positioning is better, yes. But marketing has to show it during those 90 days. As a co-founder and CEO of Pepper Smith, and with eight years on the startup team at Innocent Drinks, our next podcast guest has a wealth of experience in the industry and shares valuable insights on the two types of entrepreneurs and how successful businesses always put customers first. His name is Mike Stevens, and he was at the forefront of bringing consumer packaged goods, CPG, to the direct-to-consumer space. As I mentioned earlier, customer centricity will always be in fashion and will never fail to deliver value for your business. Here in the following snippet, Mike highlights the importance of truly understanding and serving your customers in order to achieve sustainable growth. You'll learn how to find gaps in the market, improve mature products and service with convenience and simple ways to use customers or user feedback to find million dollar customer pain points that need to be solved. I won't keep you waiting on this one, so let's go straight into it. 
um, when um, undergoing, thinking about undergoing this this journey, or you know, if you're already in this journey, you know, what to to really have in place um, as a foundational cornerstone to growth. Yeah. So the <clears throat> the thing that I really really noticed as I was going through all these interviews. Um, I mean, I met some fantastic people. These these founders are, <clears throat> I mean, they've got some really, you know, really varied, incredible backgrounds. Um, you know, they had, they had done some really interesting things before they set up their own, own businesses. Uh, and um, yeah, it was great to sort of understand who they were. But and one of the huge themes that come out came out of those, um, those conversations were all the founders were, there were problem solvers and they they wanted to help and serve people in my my observation in my world i think there's two types of entrepreneurs or successful entrepreneurs there's those entrepreneurs who sort of see a gap in the market it's like oh you know there's a there's more there's more demand than supply in a particular area i think i can you know exploit that opportunity and, and i can make some money from it i think that's one type of entrepreneurs and you know that's not to be dismissed because um yeah sort of there's some hugely successful individuals and businesses out there following that strategy but there's the second type and i think this applies to pretty much every founder that i met in the, writing the directing consumer playbook is that they um they want to solve problems and they want to help customers and they do it in a you know in a customer centric way um you know examples of that they were um, i mean bloom and wild a really fascinating business who do um sell flowers and the reason um aaron <coughs> set up bloom and wild is because he just sort of noticed what a frustrating experience and um, the sending flowers were uh, or, or trying to give someone a bunch of flowers and you think about buying someone to go flowers it should be a really joyful thing right but it wasn't you know it was um poor quality products it was you know sort of you know um high price really inconvenient it just it just wasn't wasn't a great experience and he figured out um you know so this was a you know this was something that he wanted to do better and then he did all the things that are working out right okay so how does the supply chain work how does um sort of customer service work you know what do people really want and he set up bloom and wild and his big innovation was sending flowers through um um through people's letterboxes which you know sort of five six seven years on that feels you know oh of course that's that's a thing um it wasn't back then it, it was just a way yeah. of do, doing things bigger and snag you know said a brand that you hadn't heard of so snag is a um it's a uh, woman women's um primarily it's a it's a tights company they sell other products as well now but um, when i interviewed brie the founder who's fantastic a couple of years ago with you know they were focused on tights and the reason they went into tights is because um you know brie had a uh, an experience um walking up the high street where her tights fell down and then she told uh, you know had, had the conversation in the pub all her mates just, i've had this really bar- embarrassing experience my tights fell down why are tights so rubbish does anyone mm. else have problems with tights and all her mates said yeah you know whatever size or shape or age they were it's like yeah we can't get good good tights and she's like you know i can solve this problem so she went out and set up um snag heights is another good example so heights um Mm-hmm. Uh, was set up um, by um, Joel and Dan, um, who had a, a business before, and they had, you know, the business didn't go that well, and they had quite a tough time, and they were, um, they were having some problems around mental health, and you know, they they they, they were struggling, 
and it was through those experiences in terms of looking after their own health they um they discovered that you know, sort of you know there was opportunities in supplements and um they, they call it they call it brain care which is saying you know how to look after yourself a bit better and they took that learning that individual mm. pain and learning and applied it to a wider market and again the whole thing is about you know not selling as many bottles or pills as possible it's about helping as many people as possible so th- this was a, a a really big thing in terms of how can we how can we best help our customers and also i would say as, as a founder and a strategist one of the other things that all these brands do really well is you know they cover all the bases they do product development they do marketing they do finance they do supply chain they do data analysis they do customer service they have to do all of these things because if you don't you know execute on these things well you're you know you're going to suffer and particularly you know in um, in the dtc space, space now it's so competitive it was truly an honor and pleasure to have Ayodisu, my co-founder at octillion capital partners make his first official podcast appearance on our show not to mention that it was in this very episode that we launched octillion capital partners to the world ocp as a relatively new company in the industry, it was great to have the opportunity to sit down together and enable our listeners to learn from our had one knowledge and specific approach to investing and management. I've chosen my favorite snippet from the episode to share with you so that you can uncover valuable tips and guidelines for entrepreneurs looking to maximize the value of their business in the event of a potential acquisition. IO takes you through everything you need to know in less than 10 minutes from keeping finances separate to having all assets ready to go to understanding multiples of a business and the importance of building a strong brand. This conversation provides valuable information or insights for anyone looking to navigate the acquisition process. So if you are an entrepreneur looking to sell your business in the future, this is definitely one you don't want to miss. Without further ado, let's start with your six-minute primer on everything acquisition from Ayo himself. Should we give entrepreneurs listening to this episode um, just some guidelines on how to prep up, you know, their house um, for potential, you know, acquisitions, not necessarily from us, but to get the highest value, you know, in the market. You know, I think that that is valuable. Do you have any any tips to to operators? Um, any tips I can just say is one, make sure you have a business bank account so that's separate from your personal account. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I think we, were, we dealt with a seller that their finances were just a bit muddled up. And what that just does is that increases time and also just complexity. Um, any other thing I would say is kind of just get all your assets ready. Um, so for example, if you like PNL, stuff like that, maybe any like screenshots, things like that, just have them in like a file ready to go. So mm-hmm. if any potential maybe buyer wants to access some of these things quickly, you just have it there. It just makes it more of a professional and a seamless process as opposed to if they're asking you for this, you have to wait for this, you have to wait for this. It just, buyers can get, uh, they can get frustrated because they're seeing a lot of things in the market. So as long as you're kind of like prep and really ready to sell, mm-hmm. I would say the other thing is really understanding the multiples of your business. Obviously your business is not, is not valued based on your revenues, based on your net profit. Mm -hmm. Um, So just kind of really understanding, okay, this is, I need to take out all the cost to sell. I need to take all the expenses and then that can then get at my um, net, 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 um, net figure. And then obviously use the appropriate multiple to value that business. 
And then again, just be, I would say, be flexible to different structures. So, so like you said, the earn out is one structure. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you might even reinvest, like roll over the, maybe like a portion of your money into the business. So you're actually an investor in that business moving forward. Mm-hmm. So just different, different things. If you can read any books or any, listen to any videos, I'm sure. I think they, there's a Shopify actually have like a, a guide as to what to, how to buy a business as well as how to sell a business. So mm-hmm. maybe just looking at some resources like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it makes, makes, makes a ton of sense, makes a ton of sense. And then I think the only thing I'll add there would be just processes, you know, make yeah. sure you codify everything in, in your organization. So it's, it's almost like a 10 key. You're, you're handing over mm-hmm. somebody a system, you, the, the buyer is system. Um, with that, I think you're, you're good to go. You're maximizing your multiples and build your brand, build yeah, your brand, build, folks, yeah. build your brand, you know, I think that's uh, your community. Definitely say, say yeah. more like brand. We're, brand. we're all about the brand. brand. We love yeah. the brand. Yeah, we absolutely. want to we want to buy real consumer brands that elicit like real passion, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, okay, so speaking of brands or branding, um, what what are your thoughts on? On like brand equity, I have mine. I will. I'll share mine. I think yeah. you should share yours, Casey. You, you reckon? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, if you don't have a brand book, like if you don't have an identity, if like I go into your Instagram feed and I don't know who, and and I remove your 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 name, you know your your your, your username on Instagram, and I browse through your feed, top level, and I don't know who you are, you're doing a bad job at branding. Um, and that should also sort of translate on other experiences. Branding is about experiences and feelings, right? It's very primal. It, it really should touch people emotionally. It should trigger an emotion when, um, you know, people sort of come across it. Um, for the just much more quantifiable bits of branding, um, you should have your brand book. Everything should be in order. So if an acquirer is coming to, you know, to acquire your brand, they, they know your, your, your branding systems. You should have systems, not just systems on how we fulfill orders or how we, 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 we buy media. You should have a brand system and, and that maximizes it. But it's really about the feeling it, it, it really delivers to, 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 to people, to, to your audience, to your community. And I think the outcome of, of, of branding is community. Um, sometimes you could brand with words, with certain words and products. Um, if all of what you're doing is just colors and typography, and it doesn't really translate to bringing, you know, people together as a community or through events or or what have you, um, you, you've not necessarily done, um, you know, the full job on, on, um, on, on it, on, on, on branding essentially. Okay, so we'll we'll wrap up now. Um, but before we wrap up, I I just want to say that um, you know this personally as an Octillion um, Octillion Capital Partners for me it's it's legacy building, um, and from 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 my personal point of view, I've you know served um, in the industry for for a while, you know, um, as a helper. And I'm still still a helper, you know, in the industry, um, but just moving into, um, you know, ownership, you know, just being an operator is is very key, right? Um, and 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 that's um, one big reason um, I'm 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 an Octillion. Um, Aya, do you have any um, any any final words? 
Um, no, not really. I'm just very excited uh, about the future. I look forward to just acquiring our brands and just really taking things from there, just really growing these brands to household names, really, um, and then just obviously making a positive impact in the communities that we serve. So really, really looking forward to it, really looking forward to working with Casey and just building the team because we have a couple of very, very interesting like people in the pipeline that we're going to be bringing on should everything go according to plan. Yeah, we've been having some really interesting conversations with um, with, with potential members of our team, um, yeah. all A players, um, yeah. which, which is just exciting. So in this snippet of the pod, Michael Hirschfeld, the founder and CEO of Acure Savings, shares his personal journey as a Canadian immigrant in the United States and entrepreneur. He recounts his experience starting his first tech company in Toronto in 2007, the mental health challenges he faced after it failed, and his move to New York in pursuit of his dream of entrepreneurship. He also shares how his experience as an immigrant has shaped his perspective on how it has influenced the creation of Cure Savings, a merchant embedded shopping experience that rewards consumers for saving. This introduction is included in my best of 2022 podcast because Michael's story highlights the importance of perseverance, resilience, and the role of personal experiences in shaping a successful e-commerce business or consumer brand. Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I grew up in, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and I started my first company in 2000, first tech company in 2007 in Toronto. And, um, you know, it was, I thought I was, uh, king of the world starting a company. Then I thought, you know, I raised a little bit of money and we think about value. It's funny. It's not the conversation, but I raised $250,000 on a five on $500,000, you know, from when I raised my seed round, how small when you look at valuations today. Um, and, um, I thought, it was the most amazing thing, and I got my got the bug. And obviously, two thousand nine happened, and and the company did not work out. Um, and I moved to New York because I wanted to go to a place. And at that time, Toronto was not blooming as a tech ecosystem as it is today. But I moved uh, to New York in pursuit of my dream of entrepreneurship and hmm. uh, and being around entrepreneurs. I mean, I I had a lot of scars from that first experience. Um, uh, you know, I think the mental health challenges of being an entrepreneur and the ups and, and seeing yourself in a way that maybe the world doesn't see you when things don't work out really hurt. And, but I, I knew to pick myself up and, and I moved to New York for an amazing job in an early tech, New York, 2009, 2010. Um, and, uh, I've been at a number of jobs in New York over the years. Most recently I was at WeWork and, and had a bunch of jobs, including, uh, running our co-working sales business, um, and, uh, and I have had lots of different experience. And this company, Accrue, is my first entrepreneurial startup since that 2009 unwinding. And, uh, and uh, you know, so that journey, my own personal journey um, is seeing, you know, seeing the United States and seeing New York through the eyes of an immigrant um, really lends itself to the company that I start today. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very powerful. And and uh, we work. Um, you 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 really you you're in product sales and and, and the like. So with, with with a crew, um, you know, you you've why e-commerce? You know, so you know, savings, retail. Are, are you exclusively for you know a digital solution um, for commerce for e-commerce, or do you transcend commerce? Are you going to be in in retail stores in, in retail experiences? Yeah, I mean, so the consumer experience 
is all about introducing a savings account through the merchant, embedded through the merchant to uh, offer to the consumer. And that consumer may buy in-store, but may buy online. It's omni-channel mm-hmm. and it's ultimately its use case. It's about, it's about empowering the consumers to buy on their terms, to save on their terms. And so we haven't talked about the user experience, but Accrue is offered both in, in online, embedded on the consumer experience. We also already have merchants that are using us with their sales team. So some of these, per, some of our partners have high ticket prices and, and use, use sales teams on the phone. And so the idea here is that no matter where there is an offering to a consumer to buy something, to potentially buy something, mm-hmm. there isn't just one path, which is a credit option. Can I offer you mm-hmm. a credit alternative? But there should be a savings alternative for, for consumers to, to buy on their terms. So you can take a crew today and go in store for any of our partners and use the e-card to make the purchase because we produce a Visa debit card, um, ultimately what a consumer saves up for to make the purchase. So it's, it's omni-channel in end use case and in current state. But the best place for this to manifest is just where consumers are. And like for me, like we know that, that consumers surf the web. 80, 90% of consumers never get to checkout. And they're, they're competing, merchants are competing for their, their, their eyeballs and ultimately for their dollars. And so here, mm-hmm. let, let us provide a solution, which is a crew for brands to offer consumers the opportunity to save up for something well before they're able to make the purchase. And ultimately, they'll make the purchase the consumer, whether it's physical or online. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's just step back to your backstory again, um, which is when you started, your, 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 your wife or your missus, as we refer to, 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 to our wives here in the UK, gave you an ultimatum. You know, um, it was for a period of time and you had to sprint. Do you, do you want to just break down the first three months of starting accrue savings yeah. and then we'll move into the experience? Yeah. I mean, when I talk to um, prospective entrepreneurs and founders, I talk a lot about um, working in a box to validate an idea. And hmm. um, the, this sprint mentality um, and not being addicted to your, own, um, to your own passion or to your own vision, sometimes you need to validate something before you dive in. And for me, I had at the time two kids and a, and, and a mortgage. And I left WeWork. And my wife um, uh, is an amazing partner. And she and I talked a lot about um, what I was going to do next. And frankly, in January of, of last year, when I, was, when I just left WeWork, I was very much looking for a job, a J-O-B. And I couldn't escape this idea, though, this idea, this view of the world that the, that the world was missing something so important. And I spent a couple weeks interviewing and I went to my wife uh, in February of last year and I said, I can't, this is, this needs to exist in the world. A crew needs to, I didn't have the name of the company yet, but merchants need to offer savings accounts in the world. And she said to me, we have a hundred days and starting on March 1st of last year, um, her and I agreed on two KPIs, two business metrics that I had to hit. And one of those metrics was not fundraising. They are both can I find consumers? Can I prove out that consumers will use this product? And I did a very, very extensive like, enterprise-grade consumer research study with a consumer research firm that validated this. 
Um, and I had to prove to her, I had to get three merchants to commit to trial this product all in a hundred days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, did you have a product to decide that I was starting this company? So I hadn't even started the company yet. Right. Uh, okay. And you know, you, you, a hundred days goes so quickly, but when you're relentless and you want something, it's amazing how much you can do in those a hundred days. In this next best of 2022 entry, you will meet Oren Schobel a serial entrepreneur and builder. He talks about the M&A roll-up strategy that grew his business to market cap of, believe it or not, $80 million plus and led to an IPO on the OTC market. An M&A roll-up strategy is a method of growing your company by acquiring and consolidating smaller companies in the same industry. This approach allows a company to quickly expand its market share, product offerings, and revenue streams. It also enables the company to gain economies of scale and increase efficiency. Orange story of using an M&A roll-up strategy to take his business public is a great example of how this approach can be a successful way for companies to grow and expand. He shares his experience combining three different companies, starting with 70 team members and growing it to 350 by the time he left the company. He also provides insights into the complexities and regulatory aspects of business operating at the scale and challenges of going public on the OTC market. As a successful D2C business builder, Orange experience is valuable for anyone looking to grow their business through M&A roll-up strategy. That's why I included him in my best of podcast 2022 to highlight the importance of these topics for D2C brands which are rarely discussed, but can really, really powerful, can be really, really powerful for your brand. So if your goal is to one day IPO your company, then Oren's episode on our pod is a must listen. But here are some best bits and what he has to say. Um, how many team members were there? How many um, founders were there? Were, were you? It, got it. So it, uh, it started at, about 70 team members when I came in. So basically the first step of it was combining three different companies. There was a retail mm-hmm. store in um, Southern California. There was a brand in California and there was a, uh, a distribution company in Oregon. So I think about 70 employees mm-hmm. overall. By the time we ended, it ended up being about 350 or so by the time mm-hmm. that uh, I stopped working there and it kind of cont- continued on. And in that initial start, uh, start there was uh, there was four founders and I came in mm-hmm. uh, kind of, operationally helping uh, configure and kind of and grow the business in addition to them. And over time, you know, multiple of them exited the business, right? As kind of those mergers complete, they help facilitate some of that. And then they move on to, to other things. And then we ended up bringing in a new executive team who would be specific for the public vehicle, right? Who have experience managing businesses at that size of dealing with, you know, the, uh, the complexities and regulatory aspects of, of a business that's operating at that scale. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what can we learn? Because you know, um, this was um, you know, a roll up. It was it was an M and A, you know, growth, um, you know, story, um, which eventually led to to its IPOing from from the LinkedIn. I think it IPOed at three point five million or so. Um, but what tips can you or what takeaways did you? you know, get from that, um, from, from your experience and with Unrivaled um, in terms of using a roll-up strategy 
to towards um, you know um, just building better products, you know, to you know, using rollups to to build better product offering, and obviously you know building out your 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 um, your business eventually. Yeah, and so um, you know we this this was a pretty big rollup, right? And so I think we our, our market cap when we went public was eighty or ninety million dollars, um, and it was a lot of different businesses in there. I think we did probably sixty million dollars last year. It was a it's a pretty large size business, right? But what I didn't realize is. Uh, that we went public on what's on the OTC markets, um, which is uh, in particular OTC QX, uh, because they don't allow plant touching. Like, uh, so, sorry, what, what's it's, an it's OTC? a different exchange? So, okay. yeah, so basically, there's a they don't allow plant touching cannabis businesses on the NASDAQ or on the big right. stock exchanges. And so, there's tiered stock exchanges. Now, I didn't even know that existed. I had worked on two projects previously that had gone onto the NASDAQ. Um, and they were uh, they had done what's called a Reg A plus fundraise, and then they had eventually gone fully IPO'd. Uh, and so I was familiar with that process, you know, at least tangentially. Those weren't companies I led; it was just projects I worked on. And then, uh, but I didn't, you know, realize there's this whole sub infrastructure of these other exchanges. And so there's what's called the Pink Sheets, which is basically um, uh, OTC Pink PNK. They they have uh, they allow you to be publicly listed, but you don't have to have audited financials. So it's considered relatively risky. Basically, you can put your business out there, whatever you say your numbers are. You don't have to have some compliant accounting business checking it, but you can still be public and invest in it. So that's an option there. And you have built it all the way up to where we were, OTCQX, which is the kind of the most akin to being a larger public company. You have to have your audits done regularly. You have to, uh, there's a ton of compliance and, and regulatory requirements, um, but you're still like not quite on the NASDAQ or the Canadian Stock Exchange or things of that nature. And so I think that raised some interesting opportunities for entrepreneurs for me because you know, I think there is a, you know, we did it at this relatively large size. You don't have to be that size to, you know, I'd say the, if you want to have a lower level of compliance to be on some, some smaller exchanges, that may cost you a hundred thousand dollars or less every year. If you want to operate on the OTC and at the highest scale, maybe that's half a million dollars every, every year in compliance and additional staff and things like that. But that means that you can access uh, potential public investment. You can access liquidity for your, for yourself and your shareholders. If you can generate uh, a certain amount of share volume even with smaller businesses. So what I think people listening out there who run e-commerce businesses should be looking at, especially now where we have an economic downturn, you know, assuming it's going to continue is look at how can you combine with a few other businesses? If you're, if you have a beauty brand, how can you find four or five other beauty brands or brands that are similar? Okay. They have SaaS that ties over to beauty or an influencer management company in beauty or a small retail chain, even so you can vertically integrate or a manufacturer. How do you combine four or five smaller businesses into a, into a larger business save some money on costs, say, hey, we're going to centralize accounting, we're going to centralize marketing, we're going to, you know, vertically integrate our manufacturing. And then how do you take that combined set of businesses, say you all had a $2 million business, but now altogether you have a $10 million business and say, okay, we want to do our own little roll up and bring that onto the public markets and be able to say, we believe we're actually worth, you know, this multiple on this. And we're going to tell that story to investors and, uh, and we're going to, you know, hire PR and we're going to go figure that out. And I think that's a really interesting opportunity, especially while the market's low to combine those things, execute on, on getting a vehicle. And then as the market starts to grow, take advantage of that growth and help tell your story. And I think that what I learned through this process is that this is just much easier than getting onto NASDAQ is hard and you need to have an investment bank underwriting you. And there's all these, these factors getting on some of the smaller exchanges is not that hard. And I think any entrepreneur mm. who's gone through the process of starting their own business and some level of fundraising, they can figure it out. And so I think that that vehicle being accessible and the idea that you can combine a few companies and do that yourself is, is hugely a huge opportunity. Uh, and I think that 
all kinds of entrepreneurs that are connecting online should be thinking about how they're doing that with their businesses and their businesses of their of their friends to basically create more value uh, as as an aggregator or as a roll up. So on two X e commerce episode number three hundred and fifty five or season seven episode thirteen for those listening on Spotify or, or SoundCloud, I had the pleasure of speaking with Cosmo Kosavi, the CEO of Cosmo Q. A 50 million plus barbecue company. So Cosmos journey from bootstrapping his business with no loans, credit or outside investment to scaling it to eight figures and beyond is truly, truly inspiring. He has a wealth of knowledge on how to help e-commerce businesses scale. I really suggest that later on you go and listen to the full episode. Cosmo's story is truly inspiring. In this snippet you're about to listen to, he talks about the power of omni-channel strategy, omni-channel setting, the importance of diversifying your sales channels and being present across multiple platforms is crucial for any consumer brand looking to scale. Cosmo's insights into the upstream downstream method of reaching audiences and the importance of stepping outside of your comfort zone to reach new audiences is something that any business owner should take note of. That's why I included this excerpt in my best of 2022 podcast as it provides valuable insights on how to grow a consumer brand in today's e-commerce world and one that aligns with my own views and experience. So let's hear what Cosmo has to say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I resonate with you. Uh, um, the other question I wanted to, to, to ask was around how you approach channels, you know, um, and, and there are two sort of layers, two ways of, of looking at channels. One's sales channels, you know, where the sales actually come, the ding-dings mm-hmm. um, through the website, marketplaces, you know, w- whether it's big wholesale orders, and also channels, I think we've already addressed the, the second, um, you know, classification channels, which are just, you know, marketing channels, channels in which you use to to reach to to new audiences, to audiences essentially and communicate. But going into like your 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 sales channels, you know, um, in terms of uh, your set, I, I did mention you're an omni-channel brand. How important mm-hmm. has it been to the maturity of of Cosmos Q in 2022? Um, it's been very important. Um, I believe in omnipresence. So if you see us on Facebook, I want you to see us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, YouTube, all of the channels. I want to be all, we have the content that obviously there's chat, uh, uh, platform specific audiences. So send it, send it all out. Um, the same thing, um, with our retail partners, I believe in a method I like to call um, my upstream downstream method, meaning it's easy. It's easy to get on a boat and do nothing and go downstream. I can talk to everybody. So those are my downstream are like my friends, family, uh, people around me, the the people that I get to just relax and talk to. Um, Then I got, uh, my side stream. Those are the little creeks that go up. Those are my mom and pop uh, hardware stores, barbecue shops. Those are the people that it takes a little bit more effort to get into them. But once you get in them, you know, it's it's usually smooth water. You can have a conversation and it, it's just very natural. Um, 
the hardest one, the one I always, this is, this is what I believe that you should wait to crack last is your upstream. Anybody that's ever tried to row anything upstream knows it is extremely difficult, mm-hmm. but you don't grow from safety. You only grow when you step outside of your comfort zone and do something that's, that's tough and hard and makes you work. And those upstream ones are our large retailers, um, locations that, ha- that may have, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 locations. They're harder to get into. They're harder to get in front of the right person. They're harder to, to try to sell them on. They try to beat you down on price. It's just extremely difficult. But the amount of product that they can turn in one day versus me selling, you know, at a, you know, at a barbecue competition, the numbers aren't the same. And that's why it takes more work to get into those. Um, Mm. That's kind of my method. You know, I don't know if it's, uh, um, I don't, I don't know if it's right, but you know, it works. (laughs) No, it's it's very logical. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So upstream, who, who, where, where can you get Cosmos, Cosmo Q products upstream now um, from from Um, the bigger retailers? Um, so there, there's Amazon, uh, Ace Hardware, Walmart, soon to be uh, Lowe's, True Value. Mm-hmm. Geez, there's a there, there's a couple more. But, uh, but all Bucky's, the major ones, okay. Uh, yeah, Bucky's, I don't okay. know if you ever been to a okay. Bucky's. No, no, but I have been to Walmart. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> question um, is: Are you measuring any sort of conversions from? other channels to D2C where, you know, people are trialing, you know, um, Cosmos Q rubs or injections or, you know, um, or powders. I think we're, I think we are in a good spot. Um, not because we're the cheapest, um, because we're not, but we are the best. And when you want to, you know, when you want to make that steak, uh, for your, for your wife on a Friday night, but you know, damn good and well, you can't go out and spend a hundred dollars on, on a meal and you're going to make it at home. Um, I think that's where we intercept well, because with a, uh, you know, one or two of our seasonings, you'll be able to make steak for, from now till six months from now. And it's going to be the best steak you ever had in your life. And, if don't worry if you don't know how to make it, we have recipes, we have videos and we have how to's on how to show you how to make the perfect steak. And in 2015, I won the world steak championship. uh, And the one thing that it has taught me, and I have actually produced that video twice, uh, two or three times a backyard version and two competition versions on YouTube is that once you make that steak, I'm going to ruin you from eating out again. Super, super, super interesting. It's, it's kind of like how I discovered um, like this clean coffee. Um, so I take coffee with collagen in the morning. And um, since I've started, I hardly ever go to coffee shops um, in the morning. And I was like a sucker for, co- for coffee shops. I just used to go 
and, and I think it also circles back to, and it's a very important point you're making in the sense that um, with the with with the economy going where it is, you know, people would be inclined to eat less and, you know, make their own food. And so it's an incredible, incredibly, um, you know, um, important time for, you know, brands like yours, um, whereby you're, you're bringing the, you know, pretty much um, gourmet style, you know, um, you know, tasting taste to the home without having to, to go out to, to eat out. Yep. No, you're absolutely right. And, and it's not going to break the bank. Like it's not going to, yeah. it's not going to set you back like a, a night, you know, with you and the missus out at a, at, at a, even just an average, you know, restaurant. I mean, you're looking at, yep. what is it now? 70, 80, hundred dollars, you know, oh, more, more. How many, how many, how many steaks could you buy and, you know, yep. and, and make a nice mixed salad with a, with a nice, you know, uh, uh, baked potato, it just it just makes sense. And even to go back further into uh, what I said at the very beginning, fire brings people mm. together. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, twenty twenty two for episode three hundred and sixty four of the pod, the two X e commerce pod, titled what you need to know about bookkeeping for e-commerce. I had the pleasure of speaking with Nathan Hirsch, a lifelong entrepreneur and CEO of Ecom Balance, an outsourced school. Nathan is best known for co-founding FreeUp in 2015 and scaling it up to about $12 million in revenue a year before having it acquired in 2019. He's a true expert in the field of e-commerce. And in this snippet, he discusses the importance of accounting strategies for your e-commerce brand. Nathan emphasizes the need for a bookkeeping service that understands the nuances of e-commerce and how you can it can create a mess if not done correctly. He also talks about the importance of having clean books and knowing your numbers when it comes to exiting your business and how it can lead to a successful exit. He also gives you a clear strategy for doing so in your business. That's why I included this excerpt in my best of 2022 podcast, as it provides you with insights on how to optimize your accounting strategy that really is invaluable for you as a founder. So enjoy this uh, you know, um, episode and yeah. Through our market research and what we've known throughout the years is if you're an e-commerce seller and you hire a bookkeeper that doesn't understand e-commerce, that's going to create a huge mess. There's a lot of nuances that appear in an e-commerce business, whether it's Amazon fees or Shopify fees or cost of goods sold or inventory that don't appear in other businesses. So you want to make sure whatever bookkeeping service you hire really knows e-commerce well. And I think that's what we bring to the table. Interesting. Interesting. And um, just to not just speak only about e-commerce balance on this, on this podcast. Um, can you speak to an exit? Um, so you, you, you went through, you know, um, the exits of free up, um, and it went really well. What do you think from a finance perspective and also operational perspective that led to the clean exits you had with free up 
Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, we had immaculate books going back four years. One of the first things that we did in free up before we were even profitable is we hired a, a bookkeeper and they kept track of our books every single month. We were getting reports even when we weren't revenue positive, we weren't profitable and we saw our expenses and we made decisions. And so what, what happened, not only did we have clean books that passed due diligence, but the initial conversation that we had with the buyer where they asked a lot of questions about our business we knew our numbers. When they asked about our profit margin, when they asked about number of clients, when they asked about our, our revenue and the direction it was going, we had answers to these questions. And down the line, when they actually got our access to our books and dug into it, everything they saw in our books matched exactly what we told them on the initial call, which built a lot of trust. It shows that we knew our business, we knew our numbers, we weren't just making stuff up. And, and that's a big part of it. And I know a lot of people that, that buy businesses in the e-commerce space. And if, if the person they're buying from doesn't know their numbers and they don't have immaculate books, they're not touching that business. That's the, the bare minimum. Now, the other thing that having good books allows you to do is, is first of all, if you're doing a cruel basis for e-commerce, that is going to allow you to have a better multiple. I know Joe Valley at Quiet Light, uh, who owns a company called Exitpreneur, talks about all the time that if you want to maximize your e-commerce business sale, having it in a cruel basis is incredibly important. <clears throat> but it also allows you to have the right deductions because most businesses sell at a multiple. So the multiple could be three times EBITDA, five times, 10 times, uh, whatever it is, that EBITDA is earnings before taxes uh, and, and appreciation. So but what you're able to do is, is deduct certain things. So for example, if I have a conference that I go to every single year, the person buying my business doesn't have to, um, doesn't have to pay for that conference. So that $10,000 conference sponsorship, let's say, can actually turn into a multiple, let's say a four. So that could be an extra $40,000 that you sell it from. So having clean books allows you to do certain things like deduct conferences, um, allows you to get the highest multiple, but also allows you to sell your business to begin with. Makes sense. Makes sense. Should we speak a bit more to accrual, you know, to accounting on an accrual basis? Um, do, you, do you want to break it down um, so, so listeners can, you know, have a better understanding of um, what it means to, you know, run your accounting on, on an accrual basis? Yeah, absolutely. So Versus think cash. of cash. Yeah. So cash basis accounting. Think of when someone buy, let's say that you pay a vendor, it goes on your credit card or you receive money. The second it goes into your bank account or the second it's charged on your credit card, it goes into your books. So let's say you bought inventory. If you spent $50,000 on inventory today, if you do cash basis, that's going to show up in your books right now, even though you're, you might be selling that $50,000 over the next three months. If you do accrual basis, whether you're cost of goods averaging um, or you're, you're actually recognizing it when you make that sale, then that $50,000 is going to be spread out over three months. So if you're doing, let's say you're doing cash basis, you might show a huge loss in January, but a lot of profit in February, March, April because of that $50,000 one-time charge. And that mm -hmm. doesn't really tell you anything that you can't make a decision based on, on a huge loss and lots of profit when really that inventory was made for the, the three, four months, whatever it is. 
If you're doing accrual basis, you're going to have a much more accurate picture of what you're making every single month, even though that $50,000 was charged in January. Now, there's other things too. Like, let's say you're on net 90 with, um, let's say you're selling retail and you're on net 90 where Walmart doesn't pay you for three months. Accrual lets you factor that in, whereas cash basis, it's not going to actually hit your books um, until you get that payment from, from Walmart. Yeah. So the way that I like to think of it is that there's three parts. You've got your your CPA or your tax person. It might be called something different if you're in a different country. You've got your bookkeeper and you've got your, your CFO. Now, everyone needs a tax person. You should have a tax person right now if you don't already. If you're in the US, I can recommend one. If you're not in the US, um, get a referral from someone. But they should be focused on your end of year taxes, tax strategies, um, and, and, and really giving you advice and working with whoever your bookkeeper is. And, and you need that from day one. You can't delay on that. Now, second is the bookkeeper. You've got Econ Balance, there's other bookkeeping services, and usually you have to be pretty big for it to make sense to hire a full-time internal bookkeeping. Even if you're a $1 million a year business, you don't necessarily have enough work for a full-time bookkeeper on payroll. At a certain point, you might, but most businesses don't need that. And then you've got that CFO. And usually until you're in that few million dollars a year, you don't really need that CFO. And for a CFO, there are part-time CFOs out there. You can hire a full-time CFO. But in my opinion, you want three different people so you can build a team around your finances. You want a CPA for your taxes. You want a bookkeeper to do the monthly books on time every single month with that being their sole focus to put things in a way that you can understand and make decisions on. And then you want a CFO for for planning and for for thinking long-term and for developing a strategy. And if you have all three of those working together, that's how you can really take off as a business. If you're small, let's say you're under a million dollars, you probably just need a CPA and a bookkeeping service. Usually having a CPA also doing your books doesn't work, one, because it's more expensive than just hiring a separate bookkeeper, and two, the CPA is doing your books in a way to do your taxes. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just doesn't necessarily give you the uh, the ability to make decisions every single month. They also go through periods where they get very busy during tax time and they might not be able to do your books on time every single month. And what you want as an entrepreneur is an automatic system where, hey, it's the first of the month. By the 15th, my books get done and it's repeated every single month on time with no issues, with no ups and downs. So that's kind of how I recommend setting everything up. And once you get over a million dollars, then you can start thinking of, do I want a part-time CFO? Do I need a full-time CFO? But to me, the bookkeeping and the, the CP In this perhaps most powerful episode of the year, I was joined by Paul Okram, the founder of eLogic Commerce, a Ukraine-based company that services omnichannel brands to deliver e-commerce solutions to serve different markets. As the east of Ukraine plunged into chaos, Paul's Western Ukraine-based business opened its doors to provide job vacancies to those who lost their livelihoods due to the effects of the Russia invasion of Ukraine. They also offered relocation packages to those who decided to flee from the war-torn area and live in safety. I was moved by Paul's resilience and the resilience of all those in Ukraine. Paul is nothing but class and intellect and a real asset for, for his home country. He and his team continued to work from wherever they could, from wherever there was an internet connection, often turning basements into offices so they could work in the safety of these makeshift shelters and continue to support their families and their country. It was really incredibly moving and a best 
of 2022 podcast would not be the same without Paul's character and the powerful story of resilience shared by all Ukrainians. So without further ado, let's hear from Paul himself. Okay, so just to, to break down how you're structured, um, you, you, you have how many employees? Yeah, so right now we have more than 150 engineers and engineers, uh, yeah. Yeah, 20 managerial staff. Uh, which means that uh, we have business analysis team, we have uh, project management teams, uh, DevOps teams, which are not uh, um, related to delivery concretely. Okay. And then you, you, you're, they're predominantly in, in Ukraine, um, in Western Ukraine to be specific. Um, you're dialing in from um, Chernivsky. Chen, yeah, so basically right. we have uh, offices. Um, most of our managerial team is located in Europe, in uh, mm-hmm. Estonia, Tallinn. Uh, myself, since I was born in Ukraine, I'm often here. And uh, uh, since we have a lot of staff here, uh, it's pretty important uh, when this kind of time um, happens that you are on the ground with the team and yeah. you show them the support and uh, you take hard, sometimes tough decisions. Yeah, and the leadership exactly. Just being leading forward is is a key thing. And then in Ukraine, you, you're in like three cities in the southwest, so you're closer to the border of um, Romania, um, Moldova, Hungary, and Slovakia. Yeah, um, so, is, has there been any artillery? I, I hear the west is is relatively calmer to to the eastern and center center of Ukraine. Have you seen any, have, have the army progressed? Has, has there been any fighting and anything like that um, in any attacks in, in, in your side of the country? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So uh, historically, the Western part of the country is closer to Europe mentally and geographically. Uh, mm-hmm. That's why uh, it's uh, really not smart for their army to come here because uh, they'll uh, get the where a lot of uh, uh, fighting people, uh, aggressive people who don't like their uh, country, who don't who are politically very far from them. That's why the attack was focused on the eastern uh, borders of the country and the central part. Um, right now, here we feel that uh, there's a lot of uh, refugees coming from different parts of the country. So mm-hmm. the official statistics and uh, prepared it to prior to our conversation, says that, uh, for example, uh, the city where I'm located right now, uh, for the past two weeks, uh, it got uh, like 80K people more uh, Mm. just for two weeks. And the similar situation to all the other uh, cities is in the western part of the country. We get a lot of requests from friends coming from, for example, Kiev or Kharkiv to uh, find apartments for them. We get a lot of requests from our uh, competitors on the labor market to help them to rent offices. Uh, we get a lot of requests from uh, people who are uh, closer than we are to the danger to relocate here. And we mm-hmm. relocate our staff here uh, to make them safer. You're in Chernitsvi. Um mm-hmm. And then you also have um, um, you know, two other centers in Ternopil, which is sort of northwest from you, and Kamnivsky, which is kind of like northeast, but they're all western. Yeah. Um. So, 
it was two weeks ago, we're recording this episode on Friday, the 11th of, of March, 2022. You know, um, it was just two weeks ago on um, the 24th, I believe, of February that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the invasion started. Um, what was the impact, you know, from, you know, you, you guys are in the, in, in the thick of things from an e-commerce delivery standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what happened? What did you do? How was it received? What sta- was staff stranded anywhere? And how did you sort of get everything on board? Did people get deployed? Did people decide to join the army? How, how have you managed just the whole chaos in the country and just manage it in a state of calm? Because you sound very calm right now. Well, we weren't uh, calm on February 24th, uh, two, And even the official statement to our partners, even though we're connected uh, every day, uh, came um, like uh, a week from, from that period. So, uh, yeah, um, like on February 20, 24th, 2022, we faced a scenario that was uh, hard to predict or even plan for. <laughs> Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, our management team had to respond immediately, and uh, our top priority at that time was the safety of our staff and uh, top performance, uh, as as it can be. Because uh, of course, uh, when you hear news about the war, you are not really productive, but still you have uh, the plan and you need to do it. So, for example, some of our team members were closer to support than we might have. Imagine uh, they mm-hmm. turned their home basements into offices. They were joining work calls while moving their families abroad, and uh, they stayed there for each other, offering their uh, support, hope, and homes to people who were moving from other regions. Because we had a uh, few people that were remote, and they were moving quickly to to Chernivtsi and safer places. So that's, that's just insane. Because, like you know, I'm just change you know get into your basement and saying you know what i'm i'm going to work um what about the internet i hear elon musk um put in a starlink in in ukraine um very, very quite rapidly um how you guys connect how you connected to the internet now and what about power and you know utilities um, the west is you know relatively safe but what about employees in in affected areas mm-hmm. well um I'm, i mean the first thing uh, i did after it got a bit calmer. I called to my friend who is uh, uh, a network engineer and he knows about all of the networks in the country. So most of the cables are located under the ground uh, and it's like 1.5 meters under the level of the ground. So t- in order to uh, like uh, destroy the connection, you need to get the missile hit to the ground uh, at the point where the cable is located. And of course, it's a bit decentralized because there are magistral cables coming from Europe and from other parts. But uh, Elon Musk uh, supported us and he sent the first part of uh, Starlink's bars sent to the army so they can connect with each other. They even developed the uh, uh, connector to this uh, cigarette plug in the car so the army can... uh, connect with each other. So it's very important for communication. Then we bought uh, Starlings to provide with the backup channels uh, to our offices because uh, we understand that uh, our offices are good shelter as well because uh, we were always uh, renting the spaces which are in the modern areas, safe areas, and uh, uh, they have basements, they have uh, good infrastructure. So some people are 
are still working from the office, others are remote. But uh, as of the internet, it's uh, pretty good. When when we talk about electricity and uh, uh, like uh, gas and all the stuff, it's uh, perfectly well here. So we get no distractions at all because Amazing. it's the critical infrastructure, basically. Incredible. Uh, Next up, we'll hear from Steve Sashin, the co-founder of Zero Shoes. In this snippet, Steve discusses the unconventional approach he took to building his business, a digital native minimalist minimalist <laughs> footwear brand. Rather than keeping his business model and products a secret, Stephen made a series of videos showing how to make his products and gave away the entire business model to the public. He'll tell you why that technically could have broken his business completely and also how he knew it wouldn't. Stephen really highlights the importance of creating value and building a community for your e-commerce brand. Stephen's approach is a reminder that giving away the farm does not have to does not mean the end of your business, but can lead to growth and success. Some fun facts about Stephen: he is one of the fastest runners to date in the United States in the fifty-five plus men space. He started his company with just forty dollars, and today they're doing over twelve million dollars in revenue in annual sales and uh, selling their footwear in fifty-five countries across the world. Stephen also uh, featured on Shark Tank turning down a 400k funding from Kevin O'Leary in return for 50% of his company. Curious to hear more, and then I won't keep you waiting. Let's get started. Well, search with a caveat. Um, I I basically gave away the farm. I made a bunch of videos showing exactly how to make our product, obviously, if you bought our materials, but also if you didn't buy our materials. I I gave away the entire business model, knowing that most people weren't going to do it, And if they did, that's cool. I have no problem with competition. Uh, And so it was all those videos that really started it. And then the the other uh, organic search as well. But the video really drove it significantly. And And were these YouTube videos? uh, It was YouTube. It was Vimeo. It was, I mean, it was, again, there was like 50 different video platforms. YouTube was the number one driver though. Okay, so so it sounds to me like you're building community because you're you know yes. with the videos you're you're getting attention from an audience of people and you know some of them are going to take action given the Correct. fact that what you were giving the content you're giving to them or the information you're giving to them was 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 valuable was was um of value to you them. nailed it yes it's creating value that's number one but um you use the phrase building a community I was actually doing something a little more complex than that, uh, not complex, a little more subtle than that. Um, I was tapping into existing communities. So there was at that time a burgeoning barefoot running community that was showing up mostly in, um, oh gosh, uh, there were some blogs and Google groups, et cetera. And, and so I was just showing up where people were already having a conversation about what I was doing and just injecting myself into that conversation by providing actual value. Mm-hmm. And that was, and then moving them over to what we were doing as a result of that. And then that would grow also. I mean, I met a guy, oh my God, 10 years in who said, you know, I saw your videos and I started making sandals and I've never bought anything from you. I said, great. I mean, I did it because I'm trying to change the world, not trying to get money out of everyone's pocket. Mm-hmm. And this is changing the world. And so I'm happy to hear it. He goes, by the way, because I learned to make my own footwear, it was like having a superpower. And then I started repairing uh, like appliances that I had instead of throwing them away and buying a new one. I started mm-hmm. repairing them. 
And I started making other things and I started gardening and it just opened up this whole idea of having agency in your life instead of just turning everything over to some corporation, which is an ironic thing to say now that we're selling footwear, but you know, but look, you can still go out and make a pair of sandals the way human beings have been doing it since the beginning of human beings. Mm. It's not rocket science, or as they said back then, it's not rock science. But if you're going to make you know, actual footwear, that's a whole other story. You can't do that on your own very easily. And that, my friend, concludes our best of 2022 series for the 2X e-commerce podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to these episodes as much as I enjoyed putting them together. Remember, the e-commerce industry is constantly evolving but the principles shared by our guests in these episodes will always be relevant. From maximizing the value of your business for potential acquisitions to building a strong team to putting customers first, these episodes have covered a wide range of topics that will help you take your e-commerce brand to the next level. If I could add just one thing to this podcast, on top of everything that you've learned from your guests today, it is always always that you look towards cross-functional growth opportunities don't just take each snippet from the podcast in isolation find opportunities to leverage one off the other for your e-commerce brand specifically and of course i highly recommend listening to each of the individual podcasts featured in this episode in its entirety we'll have a full list in our show notes for this episode so Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and look forward to bringing you even more valuable insights and inspiration in the coming year. Until the next time, folks, keep building, scaling and innovating your e-commerce brand and all the best for 2023. Make sure you tune in to this year's round of podcast episodes for season eight. So you're always staying one step ahead. And so, my friends, we wrap up season seven of the 2X e-commerce podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it. Answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.